1: Hello, folks. Uh, This podcast is made possible thanks to donations from my listeners. And if you'd like to make a donation, just click one of the yellow donate buttons that you'll see on most of the pages uh, on the website. Uh, Also, the podcast is supported by sponsors and the sponsor today is italki, uh, which I think is a very good match uh, for this podcast because you get all of your listening, uh, lots of sort of passive stuff through the podcast episodes. But in order to really push your English, you need to practice, you need to speak, you need to turn that input into output, and uh, you need probably a one-to-one teacher, something like that. And you can find loads of one-to-one teachers on italki just go on have a look at all the teachers you can choose different search options to find the right kind of person for you and then have just conversations or lessons or preparation for specific things it's completely up to you and it's all done through sort of video software like skype uh, which makes it super convenient. And remember, iTalki are offering you a free lesson when you buy some talking time. To get the offer, just go to teacherluke.co.uk/talk or click an iTalki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks, and welcome back. I hope you're well. Here's another episode of this podcast for people learning English. This time, we're dissecting the frog again, as we are going to be looking at top jokes from this year's Ed Fringe. Ed Ed Fringe. I mean, Edinburgh Fringe, which means the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. So, top jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe uh, of this year, 2019. So, I'm going to read all the jokes to you, And let's see if you can understand them or not. And then I'm going to dissect those jokes for vocabulary, which can help you learn English really effectively. Learning English through jokes, not just jokes that people tell each other, but specific jokes that have been written by uh, stand-up comedians hoping to make a big career for themselves by performing at Edinburgh and getting attention of the media and stuff like that. So 10 jokes written by comedians performed on stage. Those those are the things we're going to go through. So explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You can learn something from it, but the frog dies in the process. This is uh, fast becoming the most common quote that I ever use on this podcast. And if you're a fairly long-term or regular listener to the show, then you'll know that quote. In fact, I said it in the last episode. Explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You can learn something from it, but the frog dies in the process. So let's dissect the frog again. Hopefully, not too many frogs will die, or not too many jokes will die in this episode as I pull them apart and explain them to you. But anyway, it's a good chance for you to learn English. Uh, So here's a challenge for you going through this episode. Um, One, can you understand the jokes the first time you hear them? So the first time you hear the jokes, do you understand them? And two, can you repeat the jokes with the right timing, intonation and stress to make the joke more funny? Now, before we get on to the jokes, let me just say a few things about joke telling, the culture of joke telling in English. So socially, you know, we do tell jokes. We use jokes to just sort of have fun with each other. Remember that when someone tells you a joke, there are certain normal responses that you should make, right? Certain normal things. So this is just social culture. Um, It's quite tricky because you might not know when someone is joking or when they are not joking. But there's kind of like the joking attitude where someone is just being playful And you don't know if they're being serious or not, or if they're just sort of joking in their attitude. And then there are actual jokes with specific structures. And after a while, when you hear more and more jokes, you start to notice certain typical structures, which is like, you know, this is like this because of this, you know, or uh, why did the blah, blah, blah? And you have to say, I don't know. Why did the blah, blah, blah? And uh, like, what is a blah, blah, blah anyway? Anyway. You don't ask lots of questions just like I don't know uh, why did you know why did the chicken cross the road I don't know but to get to the other side which is a joke I've never found funny ever uh, but it's just an example so often it's a question and your responses say is to say I don't know um, and certain other things as well as we're gonna just see but when someone tells you a joke there are certain normal responses that you should make so you shouldn't give no reaction which is something that I've seen um, as I've told jokes to non-native speakers or learners of English before. Now, obviously, maybe it's just because my jokes were so terrible and the way that I delivered them was so bad, or maybe it was just because the person I was talking to or the people I was talking to didn't understand the conventions and couldn't notice that I was telling them a joke. But the typical reaction would be I'd tell a joke and the reaction would just be just a straight face, which generally means I didn't notice, I haven't realised that a joke has happened that's normally kind of uh, what that means um so you have to remember when someone tells you a joke hopefully you'll notice there are certain responses you should give you should show that you s- that you see that a joke has happened you have to acknowledge that a joke has occurred don't just give no reaction or respond to the question on face value like uh, why did the chicken cross the road well that's, i don't like that uh, example um why did 6 eight, uh why was six afraid of seven, which is a joke I'm going to use in this episode to demonstrate something. Why was six afraid of seven? Uh, And you say, I don't know. And the answer is because seven, eight, nine. Uh Uh-huh. So um, your response is to be like, ha, 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 hopefully to laugh. Or you kind of go, ooh, meaning I've understood the joke, but I thought it was like, not very good. Ooh. So ooh or ooh something like that really, or you say, I don't get it, which is quite a good one because that means I I know that you told me a joke but I don't understand why the joke's funny. I don't get it, and also you could just have I've heard it before, which is something that you do sometimes have to say, but don't react to it on face value. So why did six? Why did six? Uh, why was six afraid of seven? What numbers can be afraid of each other? Um. Don't just, you know, like, uh, or don't try to answer the question. Why was six afraid of seven? I don't know, because seven was like a bigger, bigger number and that made it, is that is that the reason? You know, don't try and answer the question. It's just, I don't know is what you say. Um, you also have to respond to certain jokes in certain ways. Obviously, there's knock-knock. So, if someone says knock-knock to you, what do you say? Who's there? Of course. Knock-knock. Who's there? Luke. Luke Who? Luke through the window and you'll find out. You're welcome, folks. Learning with laughter. That's what we do on Luke's English podcast. Did, I don't know. You probably didn't laugh. That's a joke that my wife always laughs at. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I've tried my comedy on her and normally she's like, what? Is that supposed to be funny? Like I'm literally trying to write some new material and I'm like, what do you think of this? And I do it and she's like, is is?" And then I'm like, okay, knock, knock. Who's there? Luke, Luke who? Luke through the window and you'll find out. Her, and she's on the floor. I know. And I married her. I know. Um, so there's knock, knock. There's also just ones with any kind of question, as I said before, like what do you call a, what do you call, um, what do you call a blind dinosaur? What do you call a blind dinosaur? And you have to say, I don't know. And the answer is, do you think he saw us? I have to explain that now, don't I? Do you think think he saw us? Sounds like the name of a dinosaur, doesn't it? Like Tyrannosaurus, Stegosaurus. Do you think he saw us? Do you think he saw us? us? What do you call? What's the name of a blind dinosaur? I don't know, Luke. Do you think he saw us? Okay. And then you go, oh, like that to show that you've at least noticed that a joke happened and that you just thought it was terrible. So remember question, it's like, I don't know. The answer is then the punchline. Right, so moving on to the jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe 2019. Those little things I just did there are just some bits of culture and language relating to how we tell jokes to our friends and people in social situations. To be honest, in my experience, it's not that often that you just kind of, you're with friends and you'll just say, like, tell them a joke. Normally, it's more just sort of on the spur of the moment. You just make up comments and jokes based on what's happening around you. Maybe sometimes you'll have like these little kind of joke-telling sessions where people kind of go, oh, I've got another one for you. Or what about this one? And you're actually telling jokes that you've heard. It's usually done in that way where everyone's doing it rather than like, oh, you know, hello, my name's Luke. Nice to meet you. Uh, so why did the chicken cross the road, Hey. Eh? Um, it's not necessarily what you'd do straight away. It's just like tell pre- pre-written pre jokes. Instead, it's more of an attitude, I think, being humorous. Anyway, on stage at some comedy club or some uh, venue in Edinburgh, imagine um, throughout the month of August, there are comedians all over the city, all doing their comedy. They've been writing these jokes. Maybe since last year, they've written this whole new show and it includes various new jokes and they're trying them out every night. Trying to create a buzz. People are coming to see them, like, you know, journalists and stuff from different websites and newspapers and TV stations are coming in to see the comedians and they're trying their best with their jokes. This is the Edinburgh Fringe 2019 uh, 2019, and any year, in fact. So, um jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe, that's what this episode is really all about. I've just been talking about jokes in general. So I did one of these episodes last year, it was episode 547, almost exactly a year ago. A whole year has gone by since I did that. So I did 64 episodes of the podcast plus all the premium ones and everything else in a year. Not bad, quite a productive uh, year for the podcast really. Anyway, don't get distracted Luke. Okay. So uh, as I was saying, right now, stand-up comedians, uh, these guys who've, who did their shows at Edinburgh, now that August is over, it's September, these comedians all over the UK are having a welcome break and it's a chance for them to think about how their Edinburgh run was and what they can learn from it. The rest of us are reading articles in the press about the best jokes from this year's Edinburgh Fringe and uh, which new comedians to look out for um, for the, uh, the next year or two. Okay. So what's the Edinburgh fringe again? I hear you asking, uh, Luke, what is the Edinburgh fringe again? Well, I have talked about it a lot on the podcast, uh, never actually been there, never actually done the Fringe. But what is it? Here is uh, a paragraph or two about the Fringe from Wikipedia. So the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, also referred to as the Fringe or Edinburgh Fringe or Ed Fringe or Edinburgh Fringe Festival, is the world's largest arts festival, which in 2018 spanned 25 days and featured more than 55,000 performances of three hundred three thousand five hundred forty-eight different shows in. 317 venues established in 1947 as an alternative to the edinburgh international festival it takes place annually in edinburgh scotland in the month of august it's been called the most famous celebration of the arts and entertainment in the world and an event that has done more to place edinburgh in the forefront of world cities than anything else it's an open access Performing Arts Festival meaning that there is no selection committee and anyone may participate with any type of performance. The official the official fringe program categorizes shows into sections for theatre, comedy, dance, physical theatre, circus, cabaret, children's shows, musicals, opera, music, spoken word, exhibitions and events. Comedy is the largest section, making up over one third of the program, and uh, the one that in modern times has the highest public profile, due in part to the Edinburgh Comedy Awards. Right, so every year hundreds of stand-ups go to the Fringe to do their shows. It's, it's a sort of a make-or-break experience. Have you ever done it, Luke? No, I haven't. Never done Edinburgh, although comedians that I know uh, do it every year. Uh, it sounds very tough. I think it must be very difficult because, number one, you spend all day going out and flyering. You're just going out with big piles of flyers, advertising your show, flyering like that. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Flyer, not really like that. Mm -mm -mm -mm. More like uh, flyers for, you know, we'd like a flyer for my show, handing them out to members of the public. It's exhausting. You feel like every single flyer you give out, you've got to kind of do a little joke or some entertainment. And you're doing it for hours and hours. It's absolutely exhausting. Free flyers, free flyers, you're saying as a joke. Look out, I'm giving out free flyers, you know, and stupid, stupid stuff. Three flyers, three flyers, three free flyers, you know, all that kind of nonsense, and uh, they're attracting- People to your show, and then you're doing the show every night, and you're you know you're doing your best. It's an hour every night. It's exhausting. It's very expensive because you've got to pay for the venue, and you know often you have to pay to put your show on. You might make some money on the door, but you often have to pay for the space. Uh, also, you've got to pay for accommodation. And August in Edinburgh is very expensive, um, and uh, it's just exhausting as well. Plus, you just drink far too much uh, beer all the time in the evening. I don't know, I've, I'm as you know, I'm more of a sit at home, have a cup of tea and do a podcast type of person than that. So ooh. that's why I've never done Edinburgh, but I did Brighton. I've done the Brighton Fringe Festival a few times. So let me go back to joke types. Um, so I did something about different joke types in the last one of these episodes, if you remember last year. I talked about things like pull back and reveal," and then I got off the bus these different sort of techniques or types of joke. Um, So here are about five different joke types. Again, some of them are going to be just a quick um, recap from last time, maybe with some more details. Five different joke types or stand-up techniques. So the first thing is puns. Puns obviously are word jokes, little jokes where... They're based around one word that means several things, maybe at the same time. So, a pun really is based around one word or phrase uh, which means two things at the same time. Maybe because one word can sound like two words. Uh, homophones. Homophones are uh, a homophone is a word that has several meanings, uh, but they sound the same. Okay? Um, homograph means the word has several meanings and is spelled the same, and a homonym is. Uh, is a a word that is either spelled um, the same as another word or sounds the same as another word. I think both. So these, uh, we have a lot of these in English, and a lot of them can be kind of created by squeezing phrases together as well. So we have lots of examples where words sound like other words or parts of sentences sound like other parts of sentences, which makes the language very, very rich for making jokes, puns. For example, my one from earlier, why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. So the basis of that pun is the word eight. And if you say seven, eight, nine, obviously it's a sequence of numbers, but also it's a sentence, isn't it? Because the number eight sounds exactly like the verb eight, the past of eat. So they sound exactly the same. And it is the same pronunciation. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I ate a pizza. It's exactly the same. And so that's where the pun happens. Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Okay. Um, Then we've got the pullback and reveal, which is basically when the joke gives you some information and then suddenly you get a lot more information as if the camera has pulled back, revealing a lot more uh, visual information around the edges of the screen, recontextualizing the situation. So the situation radically changes when we get more information. That's a pullback and reveal. It's like the camera pulls back to reveal more. So the, here's an example joke from last year, just to give you an example of a pullback and reveal. This is Joe Boar's joke from last... from No, from 2014, this one. And he said, My wife told me sex is better on holiday. So at this point, fairly normal. You imagine that they've had sex on holiday and she tells him that sex is better on holiday. But then... The rest of the joke pulls back the situation and reveals more information recontextualizing it. My wife told me sex is better on holiday. That wasn't a nice postcard to receive. Did I did I mess up that punchline? My wife told me sex is better on holiday. That wasn't a nice postcard to receive. That wasn't a nice postcard to receive. A nice postcard. Mhm. So I, in fact She wasn't on holiday with him. She was off on holiday with someone else, having sex with someone else. And then she sent him a postcard to tell him that sex is better on holiday. It's quite a good joke. I think it's a good one. That's a pullback and reveal. Then we've got observational humour, which is basically noticing things about everyday life that we all experience, but we haven't put into words yet. So it's just like, have you ever noticed that blah, 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 blah? And what's the deal with blah, 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 blah? You know, uh, like the typical one is like, so what's the deal with airline food, right? And then you kind of make observations about airline food and typical things in an aeroplane and how everything's so small. Um, And, you know, then you make a career out of it, like Jerry Seinfeld or Michael McIntyre. Similes are very often used in jokes in stand-up these days. And this is basically showing how two things are similar in unexpected and revealing ways. So, for example, explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. The frog, di- you can learn something from from it, but the frog dies in the process. I kind of screwed up that joke as well, didn't I? Anyway, it's like this is like this because this, you know, these things are the same. So, explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog, and it's it really tells you more about the first thing. Um, then we've got common phrases reinterpreted and certainly this year i've noticed a lot of this in the jokes so this time it seems that most of the jokes are based on well-known common phrases and how they could mean something else if you change the context it's a bit like a pun but for a whole phrase so common phrases that people often use and using those to create jokes and from i think it was a few years ago tim vine did a joke which is a good example of this Common phrases reinterpreted. So his joke was based on the the phrase "That's a sight for sore eyes." Sore. If your eyes are sore, it means they sting. And if you say something is a sight for sore eyes, it means you're really glad to see something. So if you see someone you love, you could be like, "Oh, you're a sight for sore eyes." Like imagine you've just been off on some week long horrible uh, business trip, and it's been horrible. And then you see you know your family, you might say, oh, "You're a sight for sore eyes." like meaning something you're very glad to see. That's a sight for sore eyes, isn't it? You know, a politician admitting that they've lied on TV, oh, that's a sight for sore eyes, isn't it? Meaning that's something we've wanted to see for some time. And the joke is conjunctivitis.com. So conjunctivitis is an infection that you might have in your eyes. And if you have conjunctivitis, you're going to have red sore eyes. So conjunctivitis.com, now there's a sight for sore eyes. There's a site, meaning a website, conjunctivitis.com. There is a website for sore eyes, literally. But also, you'd be glad to see it. Oh, there's a site for sore eyes. You see, so it's a typical common phrase reinterpreted. Right then, so let's get into the article. This is from nme.com, and it's uh, the, ten, the 10 funniest jokes of the 2019 Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Okay, just finishing my tea there. Right. So the top 10 jokes of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2019 have been announced with comedian Olaf Falafel taking the coveted top spot. Check out the full list below. After previous triumphs from the likes of Tim Vine, Stuart Francis and Zoe Lyons, Falafel scooped the prize with a snappy vegetable-themed one-liner. He took Dave's funniest joke of the Fringe with this gag. So here's the joke, folks. Are you ready? I keep randomly shouting out broccoli and cauliflower. I think I might have florets. Oh, I'm not such a fan of this one. I think there are other jokes in the list that are better. But anyway, let's go into it. I keep randomly shouting out broccoli and cauliflower. I think I might have florets. Mm. It's not that good. So florets, so it's not florets, it's florets. Florets are chunks of broccoli or cauliflower. You know, when you buy broccoli or cauliflower, it's like, technically you buy it as a head, a head of broccoli or a head of cauliflower. And then you break these pieces off. These are called florets, okay? And then there's tourettes, tourettes. So florets, we don't call them florets they're called florets i'm sure florets let's just see if we can see um hold on a second and i can check a florets florets yes it's that's right checking the dictionary it's florets definitely so that's kind of one of the reasons the joke doesn't quite work because you say florets of broccoli but tourette's so the stress is on the different word so tourette's is a condition in which people shout out the rudest and most taboo thing in any situation. Have you heard of it? Um, I mean, on one hand, it's obviously really serious, and it's a serious mental condition and everything, and it's a very serious subject, Tourette's. But on the other hand, it's somehow hilariously funny when just a person can't help shouting out the rudest, most inappropriate thing in that situation. Like just BASTARD. Like just suddenly for no reason, just shouting really, really, really rude and inappropriate things. I can't help finding it funny, but it is something very serious and a lot of people a lot of people deal with Tourette's on a daily basis. Um so that's Tourette's which sounds a bit like Floritz. Okay, two words sound quite similar. It's not the best joke, in my opinion. On that subject, what makes a really good joke, Luke, you're asking yourself? I don't know why you're asking yourself that. Why are you saying Luke in your own head to yourself? Imagine, hmm, what makes a good joke, Luke, you ask yourself, which is a very strange thing to do. But okay, let's have a look. So for me, if it's a pun... A pun, uh, which is again a word joke, it should work both ways, right? So, what I mean about by that is that you're looking at a sentence which means two things at the same time. What, uh, okay, ideally, both of those things will make overall sense. Can I give an example? Um, yeah, uh, conjunctivitis.com, There's a site for sore eyes. I mean, it mostly makes sense in the sense that it's a sight for sore eyes, meaning a sight for people who've got con- conjunctivitis. There's a sight for sore eyes. Is that something we've wanted to see for a while? Um, or maybe. I mean, you see, the, the the joke certainly works in one way. Does it work in the other way? Mm. I keep randomly shouting out broccoli and cauliflower. I think I might have florets. Uh, so one sense here is that he has a type of Tourette's which only involves shouting out broccoli and cauliflower and that's called florets and that kind of makes sense that if you have a vegetable-based version of Tourette's that you might say broccoli you know for no reason that would be called florets now that does make sense the other meaning though doesn't really like if he's just got some florets of broccoli and cauliflower carrying some florets so why would he be randomly shouting out the words broccoli and cauliflower if he just had some florets in his hand? So I keep randomly shouting out broccoli. It's, I think I've got florets. But that wouldn't make you randomly shout out broccoli. So for me, the the joke doesn't quite work. For the um, for the connoisseur over here, the joke doesn't quite work. Here for me is a joke that works both ways. I mean, it's this is not the only thing that is important for a joke. There's also... Something to do with the cultural context and making jokes about things that are maybe in the popular consciousness, things that are p- particularly timely. I think maybe the Floritz joke is a bit more timely because, well, I mean, it's a—it's not really PC to make fun of Flo- of Tourette's, but I think the thing about florets of vegetables maybe these days in supermarkets you tend to find your broccoli and cauliflower broken up into florets and put in bags that you put in the freezer and they would have the word florets would be on there so it's a word that we have seen but anyway i think it's just a bit more a uh, part of the current mood or not mood the mood how's your mood today <sighs> broccoli and cauliflower. I mean, it's just maybe in the popular consciousness. But here's, an, here's another joke that does work both ways, even though it's not doesn't have the same value somehow as um, uh, Olaf Falafel's joke. So this one is, I broke my finger last week, but on the other hand, I'm okay. I broke my finger last week. On the other hand, I'm okay. So on the other hand it can mean two things, obviously. That's where the joke is. It could mean, but... And the, the whole sentence still makes sense. So he broke his finger, but overall, overall he's okay. So that, on the other hand, could mean but. I broke my finger, but I'm okay. I broke my finger, on the other hand, I'm okay. Right? That makes sense. And the other meaning as well also makes sense, which is on the other hand means literally on his other hand. And the whole sentence still makes sense. He broke his finger on one hand, but on his other hand is okay. You see that the joke works in two ways at the same time, and both of them make sense. That's the kind of joke that is the best joke, in my opinion. Um, It's got to work both ways. So I keep randomly shouting out broccoli and cauliflower. I think I might have florets. Some of the other jokes are better, I think. So this came from Olaf Falafel's show, which is called It's One Giant Leak for Mankind, which was performed at the Pear Tree. The comic who won... With 41% of the vote, claims to be Swedish. Swedish? Uh, Claims to be Sweden's eighth funniest comedian. He also works as an acclaimed children's book author. Um, So he won 41% of the vote, which is enough to get him the award. And this, for me, is a bit like a democratic election in which the one candidate that 59%, the majority of people, voted against or didn't vote for <laughs> is the one who wins you know like for he got 41 41 percent so most people didn't vote for him but he's the one who won it's a bit like a when you have a, a leader and you know 41 percent of people vote for him and or even like 35 percent and most people didn't vote for it but he's our leader the one that none of you wanted so anyway falafel said this is a fantastic honor. But it's like I've always said, jokes about white sugar are rare, but jokes about brown sugar demerara. Yes, that was another joke, folks. Did you notice? (laughs) This doesn't make sense to me. The joke works, but I don't know why he said it. Anyway, jokes about white sugar are rare, okay? We understand this. But jokes about brown sugar demerara, Demerara is another word for brown sugar, isn't it? Demerara sugar. You know Demerara sugar? It's a light brown cane sugar coming chiefly from Gu- Guyana. So it's a kind of brown sugar, Demerara. But Demerara sounds a bit like them are rarer. It should be they are rarer. But often people say them when they say, should say they. So jokes about white sugar are rare but jokes about brown sugar demerara okay i don't know why he said that though when he accepted the award this is a fantastic honor thank you but it's like i've always said jokes about wine sugar are rare but jokes about brown sugar demerara and everyone's like that's very funny pun but why? how is that anything to do with winning this award we don't know but thanks for the joke right now let's check out the rest of the top 10 as we go through nine more uh popular jokes from Edinburgh Fringe this year. So moving on to number two, this is uh from Richard Scott, and he I as I suppose, as part of a routine, said, Someone stole my antidepressants. Whoever they are, I hope they're happy. Okay. So this is sort of this joke is based around the expression, I hope you're happy. Which is what you say. Uh, about someone who's done something that makes you unhappy okay so let's say you wanted to go to the cinema to see a film um, but your friend who you're going with made you late and made you too late and then you couldn't see the film and you say well we're too late for the film now i hope you're happy with yourself i hope you're happy which is like a way of saying i hope you're happy with what you've done because i'm not if someone stole your your car, well I hope they're happy. Mm. You can you can see, right? If you how I hope you're happy is used. Here's another example uh, of I hope you're happy. I just did a little um, Google search for it to see if there were some examples, maybe in the news. Here's a story from the Bellefontaine Examiner. I'm not even sure where this is. Where is Bellefontaine? Bellefontaine. Where is it? Is it Canada? Um, Ohio, United States. Okay. Councilman walks out of meeting and resigns. So a, another member of the DeGraff Village Council has resigned. So this is like some story of drama in the some local village council office in Ohio. Councilman Chuck Birchman... Abruptly resigned and walked out of a regular council meeting Tuesday during a verbal back and forth and argument with the village's zoning officer, Merle Osborne. I'm done. I resign," Birchman said. "You people, I hope you're happy. And we don't need to go into this story of high drama in the uh, local town council of Bellefontaine in Ohio, but that's just an example. I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy with what you've done. So in, in this case, it's somebody stole my antidepressants. Well, I hope they're happy. Um, okay, well, antidepressants. Yeah, obviously, you take antidepressants in order to try and prevent yourself from being depressed, to stop depression, to make yourself happy. So uh, someone stole my antidepressants. Literally, I hope they're happy. I hope they take the antidepressants and that they get happy. But also, I hope they're happy. Okay, you get the joke. Fine. Moving on to number three. uh, Milton Jones. And he said, what's driving Brexit? From here, it looks like it's probably the Duke of Edinburgh. What's driving Brexit? It looks like the Duke of Edinburgh. Okay, topical. Topical humour. A little bit of Brexit humour in there. With a pot shot at the Duke of Edinburgh as well, Prince Philip himself. So what's this all about? Well, what's driving Brexit really is, this is where the joke is, it's the word driving. So we know driving, like driving in a car, who's driving the taxi, who's driving the bus, you know, what is, you know, who's driving the bus, what's driving Brexit though, meaning what's pushing Brexit forward? What is it that's making Brexit happen? What's the driving force behind Brexit? What is driving Brexit? Okay, so you might say, you know, it's, it's a desire for change it's an anti-establishment feeling it's just sort of racism and anti-immigration it's um like um a cabal of right-wing mps who want to get away from the european union in order to you know um establish free banking practices or whatever i don't know it's a chance for the mps to grab power from the eu what's driving brexit from here, it looks like it's probably the Duke of Edinburgh. So the joke here is that recently the Duke, well, fairly recently, the Duke of Edinburgh uh, had a car crash and it turns out he's a terrible driver. He also quit driving after the crash. So he's a ter- the Duke of Edinburgh is a terrible driver and uh, he had a car crash. <clears throat> so Brexit is a disaster. The Brexit is a car crash. So what's driving Brexit? Looks like the Duke of Edinburgh. OK, lol. Um, not bad. So here's a story from the Daily Mirror about the Duke of Edinburgh. So, he had a car crash in Norfolk. When was it? February. January, February. Nearly a year ago. Well, ish. So, Prince Philip crash from the Daily Mirror. Duke of Edinburgh will not be charged over Norfolk road smash. The Crown Prosecution Service confirmed this morning that no charges will be brought against the 97-year-old. The the Mirror is kind of a left-wing tabloid so I think that they've got a kind of a slightly critical view of the royals. Certainly you get that sense, um, you get that sense with this story, that they're like shocked that the, the prince is not going to be prosecuted for this car accident that he was clearly completely responsible for. Prince Philip will not be charged following his car crash in Norfolk last month, which left two women injured, it was confirmed this morning. A statement from the Crown Prosecution Service said the 97-year-old will face no further action after the collision with another car near Sandringham. That's a royal property in the countryside. The Duke's car flipped over after he pulled out into a busy A-road and collided with a Kia carrying a nine-month-old boy, his mother and another passenger. He escaped injury, but Kia passenger Emma Fairweather broke her wrist on January the 17th. Philip apologised for his part in the accident when his Land Rover Freelander collided with another car. Chris Long, Chief Crown Prosecutor uh, for CPS East of England, said the CPS has carefully reviewed material submitted by the police in relation to a traffic collision uh, on the 17th of January this year. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, what happened was... uh, uh the duke of edinburgh in his big range rover pulled out into a road and just crashed into a car he didn't even look properly he just pulled out right in front of this car they crashed into each they crashed into each other and uh his car rolled over he was fine but this woman broke her wrist so basically the the thing is the duke of edinburgh is a terrible driver so what's driving brexit looks like the duke of edinburgh quite a good joke and um you know a decent joke and quite nicely topical as well. <clears throat> so Jake Lambert, number four, a cowboy asked me if I could help him round up 18 cows. I said, yes, of course. That's 20 cows. I like this joke. It's a good, simple, straightforward joke. It's It kind of works both ways. Uh, so, all right. So the joke is based on the phrase to round something up. Normally you round up a number. So, for example, you round it up or down to the nearest decimal, uh, like a uh, nearest uh, five. So, if it's 16, you round it down to 15. If it's 18, you round it up to 20. You see, so you round it up or round up, round up or down the number to its closest like uh, unit of five, I suppose. Rounding up a number. So, a cowboy asked me if I could help him round up 18 cows. I said, yes, of course. That's 20 cows but also to round something up, to round up some animals, means to gather all the animals into one specific place. So the animals are dotted around, and you go round, maybe on a horse, and round up all of these cows so that they're all corralled in a, in, a, in a certain little field or part of a field, to round up some animals. So the cowboy asked me to round up 18 cows. So this is, could be two meanings, Round up the cows, meaning get them together, and round up the cows, meaning get the number to uh, a, a round number. So he asked me if I could help him round up 18 cows. I said, yes, of course, that's 20 cows. Quite a good, good joke. I like it. Number five um, is uh, from Ross Smith, and he says, a thesaurus is great. There's no other word for it. There's no other word for it. Um So this is based on the phrase, a common typical phrase, there's no other word for it, which is when you've just described something with a word and it's basically a way of emphasising that you really mean that. So there's no other word for it. That was absolutely mesmerising. There's no other word for it. Another example, this is from News Hub on the 29th of August this year. Fine dining is fancy. There's no other word for it. Okay. Okay. Um. all right so fine dining like dining in gastronomic restaurants where you have like tiny tiny portions of food and like lots of droplets of sort of i don't know sauce and the food is in weird shapes and there's always that strange foam stuff which looks vaguely disgusting tiny little portions big prices small portions fine fine dining is fancy fancy meaning sort of Uh, quite posh. There's no other word for it. Okay, so there you go. So uh, a a thesaurus, a thesaurus. So the joke though, a thesaurus is a book filled with uh, other words for things. So if you look up the word big, you'll get large, you know, you'll get huge, massive, grand, you know, in a thesaurus. It's a bit like a dictionary. So a thesaurus is great. There's no other word for it. Ah, but there is another word for it. Just look up the word great in the thesaurus and you'll see that there are various words for it. A thesaurus is great. There's no other word for it. Okay, not bad. We're fully dissecting these frogs here. Uh, These frogs are like... The floor of my room is just full of dead frog matter everywhere. uh, The amount of time I have to spend cleaning up dead frog carcasses in this room after I do these podcasts. Number six, sleep is my favourite thing in the world. It's the reason I get up in the morning, said Ross Smith. Again, sleep is my favourite thing in the world. It's the reason I get up in the morning. I quite like this one. So the phrase here is, it's the reason I get up in the morning. This is a very common phrase, which is basically like saying, it's my reason for living. It's the reason I live. It's what I live for. It's a way of saying that. Um, um, oxygen.com, I think it is, a news outlet, uh, this sentence, she added that her dog is the reason I get up in the morning. So, meaning, she, you know, she lives for her dog. Like, podcasting is the reason I get up in the morning, for example, okay? In this case, it's sleep. Sleep is my favourite thing in the world. It's the reason I get up in the morning. I quite like that. Obviously, you can see that it, it log- it's not logical, because if you love sleep, why is he getting up? I quite like it. Number seven is Adele Cliff. I accidentally booked myself onto an escapology course. I'm really struggling to get out of it. (laughs) Okay, an escapology course. Escapology is the science, maybe, of escaping from things. If you're an escape artist like Houdini, Uh, you would be an expert in escaping from chains or escaping from a straitjacket or something like that. Like you might be put in a a straitjacket, you know, uh, and then uh, surrounded by chains and then dumped in a box and thrown in the water and you escape from it and you come out. That's escapology. So I've accidentally booked myself onto an escapology course and I'm really struggling to get out of it. So the, the joke is based on the double meaning of to get out of it, To get out of something is to, like, uh, find a way to not do something. So, for example, at work, it's been arranged that you have to do a presentation in front of all of the the board of directors. And you're like, oh, God, I really don't want to do this presentation. I'm too stressed out. And he's like, oh, I'm going to need to find a way to get out of it. And you say to your boss one day, oh, you know, about next week, Wednesday morning, I'm supposed to be doing that presentation. The thing is, my daughter has got to go to the doctor's. You know, we've got a special doctor's appointment, so I'm not going to be able to do it. Any chance that Tony could do it instead? He says he doesn't mind. So I'm trying to get out of it. I'm struggling to get out of it. In this case, it's an escapology course, which she accidentally booked herself onto. Like, oh no, oh no, I booked myself onto the escapology course, by mistake. I really don't want to do that. And then you need to find a way of getting out of it. Like, oh, I'm afraid I can't do Thursday evenings anymore because uh, uh, um, uh, I'm washing my hair. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm struggling to get out of it. But also, when you're an escape artist, you struggle to get out of chains or a box or a straitjacket, don't you? You see? See what she did? Very clever, he said, semi-sarcastically. It's Not bad. Not a bad joke. A bit clunky. I accidentally booked myself onto an escapology course. I'm really struggling to get out of it. Okay. Number eight, then. Uh, here we have the last three jokes. So, uh, number eight. This is Richard Pulsford. After learning six hours of basic semaphore, I was flagging. I like it. I like it. It's a nice joke. Semaphore is a kind of visual language involving holding flags. So, you've got a, a flag in one hand and a little flag in the other hand. Two flags. And you can hold the flags at different positions, holding your arms in different directions. This is called semaphore, and it's a form of language, I suppose, for people on boats. Um, So this is semaphore. So after learning six hours of basic semaphore, I was flagging. So flagging. This is where the joke, this is the basis of the joke. Flagging can mean getting tired. Oh oh God, I've been been podcasting for 45 minutes now. I'm flagging, meaning starting to get tired. But also flagging could mean using flags, you know, doing things with flags. Semaphore involves doing things with flags. It's flagging, isn't it? What are you doing? Just a bit of flagging, -hmm. You see, after learning six hours of basic semaphore, I was flagging. It's good, it works both ways. I was flagging, meaning I was tired, and I was flagging, I was waving flags around. Well done, Richard Pulsford. Number nine, to be or not to be a horse rider. That is equestrian. (laughs) Mark Simmons wrote that joke. To be or not to be a horse rider. Now, it already sounds a bit like Hamlet, doesn't it? Shakespeare to be or not to be, that is the question, which is Hamlet kind of, you know, thinking about life and questioning his mortality and stuff. But to be or not to be a horse rider, that is equestrian. So (laughs) equestrian is a word that means relating to horses. Yeah, relating to horse riding. Okay, so equestrian, equestrian, an equestrian event would be in a horse riding event at the Olympics or something like that, the equestrian area or equestrian events, horse riding. So equestrian relates to horse riding. So to be or not to be a horse rider, that is equestrian. To be or not to be, that is the question. That is equestrian. That is the question. That's it. That's the joke. So to be or not to be a horse rider, that is equestrian, which is absolutely equestrian. It is whether or you're riding horses or not. Uh, but also to be or not to be, that is the question. Quite good, right? So you've got that is the question and also that is equestrian. They sound very similar, don't they? Kind of do. All right. Number 10. This is the last one in the list. So I've got an Eton-themed advent calendar where all the doors are opened for me by my dad's contacts. So a bit of culture here. You've got to know what Eton is. You may have heard me talk about that on the podcast before. Eton is a public school. Public is misleading as a word because it doesn't mean open to everyone. It doesn't mean free. It's not paid for by the state. Uh, Public schools are very exclusive private schools where only the, uh, the, the top elite people go to. The richest people in the top jobs send their children to these private boarding schools like Eton or Harrow. And Eton is a school that if you go to Eton, there's a good chance that your dad or mum works in a very high position in some influential situation. And because of, um, what's the word for it? Oh, damn. What's that word for when um, uh, someone older than you in your family opens doors for you? Um, Oh, man, I can't believe I can't remember this word. Uh, It's, can't remember it terrible. Wait a minute. So the word I'm looking for is nepotism. Um, So the practice um, of using your influence to help uh, younger relatives, that's nepotism. Um, So what was I saying? So if you go to Eton, it probably means you've got lots of connections and those connections open lots of doors for you because of nepotism. So in this case, the person's got uh, an Eton themed Advent calendar. An Advent calendar is a calendar that you use during the period of Advent, which is just before Christmas. It's like the days leading up to Quis- Christmas. Quith- Quithmath, <laughs> not Quith Christmas or Quithmath. Christmas. It's the days leading up to Christmas. 1st of December to the 25th of December. That's Advent. And if you have an Advent calendar, you open a door on every day, and there's like a little chocolate or something inside. So, but I've got an Eton-themed Advent calendar. The theme of the calendar is Eton, the school, where all the doors are opened for me by my dad's contacts. Okay, it's kind of a stretch... But it's, it's not bad. I mean, why would you have an Eton-themed Advent calendar anyway? It's a very strange thing. But I like the, the idea that all the doors are opened by his dad's contacts. So, you know, that's the fact is that going to Eton means that doors are open for you. So, you know, there you go. Okay. So that is that was uh, the list of the 10 top jokes from Edinburgh this year. And uh, I mean, obviously doing what we've just done and sort of dissecting the jokes and all that stuff, it's not necessarily fair to these jokes. They probably happened in the context of a larger show um, where the comedian telling the jokes is telling them as part of a story or some other kind of routine. You've got the attitude of the people telling the jokes, the, uh, the, the situation that you know about their lives. All of that stuff can really culminate in a good joke Being very funny there in the room on the night. So, taking them out of context like that is not really fair to the jokes, but it's a very good chance for us to learn some English, I think. So, what about you? Did you get all the jokes? Did you get them the first time, or did you only get them after I explained them? And did you pick up some new language? On the subject of new language, here's a little vocab review of how many items? I think it's about 10 items maybe that uh, came up during the episode. 11 items. So, we've got florets those broken off pieces of broccoli or cauliflower though they're, they're called florets and then what's that condition uh, that some people have that causes them to shout out very rude things like like wanker or um things like that when they're in public it's called tourettes um what what happens when someone has done something sort of bad to you and you're sarcastic and you say well i hope what is it well you know uh, someone so someone stole my bus pass well i hope they're happy all right. I hope you're happy with what you did to my car. It's going to take ages to clean that. I hope you're happy with yourself. Um number 4 is um the verb, which can have two meanings, but the meaning I'm looking for is, uh, the one that's sort of, uh, pushing something forwards. Like what is it that's making Brexit happen? What's, what is the force behind Brexit? What is driving Brexit? Exactly. And we use words, we use the word drive for other things like it's driving this company. Uh, the ethos of this company is what drives us forward. Okay. Uh, number five, um, two meanings one meaning is um uh, to take a number and make uh round it i nearly said the expression change the number to its closest higher number so from 18 to 20 that's to round something up and to collect lots of animals like sheep or cows into a smaller area is to round up the animals as well to round something up um when you're describing something like oh you know that tea is just fantastic there's no other word for it. Remember that? There's no other word for it. Luke's English Podcast is simply sensational. There's no other word for it. If you wanted to give me a review on iTunes or wherever wherever it is else that you're listening to this, if you're listening in an app on your phone or some other service, and if you wanted to leave me a review, that would be really, really appreciated. I really mean that. Uh, It's great to get reviews, and it really helps podcasts when they get reviews in iTunes because it boosts, there's something about the algorithm. It boosts those podcasts into the recommended category. So, if you could give me like a five star rating and a nice review in iTunes, um, and you could say Luke's English podcast is simply sensational. There's no other word for it. That would be fantastic if you like it. You don't have to, but I'm just saying if you want to help the podcast, you can. So, uh, number seven, it's the reason I get up in the morning. Doing Luke's English podcast is my passion. It's the reason I get up in the morning. And then number eight, struggling to get out of something, struggling to get out of it. I don't know, what, what example could that be? Like, oh, I agreed to be interviewed by Luke on his podcast and I'm struggling to get out of it. Like, why don't you want to go on? Because I don't want him to ask me lots of complicated questions about Brexit. But wait, who are you? I'm Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. Hmm. So I've invited him on the podcast, but he's struggling to get out of it because I would ask him lots of difficult questions about Brexit. Like, what is driving Brexit, Boris? Um, um. Number nine, flagging. After 54 minutes of this podcast, I'm flagging. I'm not really. Uh, Equestrian. So equestrian sport is a sport on horseback. And to open doors for someone. Like, thanks a lot for your reference. It really opened some doors for me. Like, you know, that work experience that I had in the company was really great. It really opened a few doors for me. Getting that exposure in the article was great because it really opened doors for me. Doing this podcast has been really helpful because it's really opened doors for me. It's given me lots of opportunities. Okay, folks out there in podcast land, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope that's been useful for you. If you like the podcast, yes, you could leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Don't forget, you can you know always leave comments on the website, and it's always nice to have to see those discussions between my listeners. Uh, What else? Download the Luke's English Podcast app, and you can get it from the App Store on your phone for uh, Android and iOS devices. Just search Luke's English Podcast app, uh, and you can get the entire episode archive. It's completely free, and there are lots of bonus. Uh, things in there too bonus episodes videos and all sorts of other stuff and if you'd like to learn more from me in a in proper way in the sort of in-depth um, manner uh, then you can sign up for my premium series and it's a great way to support the podcast for the price of just like a, a coffee every month you can support my podcast and my work and also get access to a growing library of premium episodes that you can get in the app or online go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium and if you want to get some one-to-one lessons to practice your speaking, to get corrections, to work on your English, you might want to check out ITalky, Go to italk, uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk to find out more. Okay, great 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 episode luke Uh, that was sensational there's no other word for it thank you so much for listening it's been an absolute pleasure i will speak to you again on the podcast soon in some way but for now it's time to say goodbye bye 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 bye. thanks for listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk